I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, October 24th, 2021, and this is episode 143 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is Dune. We went to see it Friday night in the theater in Dolby. Um, We try to see as many things as possible in Dolby. My husband really likes audio and sound and music and really appreciates good sound and good speakers in a way that I just don't, but it's fine. Anyway, Dune was really amazing. Now, I have not read any of the books. I did see the previous movies, the David Lynch version and the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries many years ago, forgot 99.9% of everything that happened. Um, The main thing I took away from those were like little bits of things and fear is the mind killer, which really spoke to me at that time in a similar way that um, The Matrix did, as it just sort of reinforced the things I believed growing up, the sort of religious tradition that I had been brought up in. And yeah, so that was, those were my main memories, not many of them. So I went in fresh. And I had considered reading the book beforehand, but you know, I don't really like to do that. And I'm glad I didn't, because I'm glad I was able to experience the movie without comparing it to the source material, even though I know that I missed so much because you can't really understand everything if you don't, if you haven't read the book. I think that Denis Villeneuve, the director, did a really fantastic job of exposition, of making sure you understood the important things. Exposition was handled really, really well in terms of how information is doled out. There is some voiceover. There is, you know, the main character is watching like a video at a certain point that explains how things work in a, in a way, which, you know, is pretty obvious, but it worked well. So the big things you understood, the more like magical vision, mind reading, maybe things, no idea what was happening. Like in in a certain way, I, I knew enough to appreciate the movie. Like, okay, there's a vision happening. It's abstract. He understands what's going on, even though I'm looking at images, you know, things like that were done well. But I can't say that I could tell you what was happening. <laughs> even with that, It was fantastic. It is not a complete movie. It is half of a movie. It ends in a very like unsatisfying place. Structurally, it has some issues because he's only telling half of the first book of Dune in this movie. So I felt that. But at the same time, the world building, the visualization, the cinematography, all of the acting, everything was just top, top notch. And I loved it. So I would definitely recommend Dune, even if it is only half a movie, I would absolutely recommend you see it in a theater on the big screen. I probably will watch it again on my TV just so I get the subtitles because there are some things, some of the things that are whispered and you're like, wait, I can't, I have no idea. I couldn't hear that. Um, Not as bad as Tenet, which like 80% of the exposition is told while someone is falling out of an airplane or something. Like you couldn't hear anything in that movie. And I... I thought I would go back and watch that again to try to understand what was happening, but I never have yet. Maybe one day. Dune, big screen, theater experience. Um, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it a lot. And I still do want to read the, uh, read the book. The part two has not been greenlit as of the time that I'm recording this or as of yesterday, since I haven't checked this morning. 
Um, I think it probably will be. I mean, hopefully our theater wasn't completely packed and there was a time issue. So like about an hour before I was looking to see if we could move our tickets and there was an eight o'clock show that had lots of seats left. So I was like, "Uh Oh, that's not good. Cause usually with these kind of movies, you have to buy the tickets weeks in advance for opening night. So we'll see what the box office numbers are and if they're enough to get him his second film. I really hope they, I really hope they get it. Cause, um, yeah, otherwise, you know, if, if this never gets its part two, then it not being complete is hurts a lot more, you know? So my writing update, I am working on two different revisions at the same time. I am revising Savage City, which is the book that I want to self-publish, Paranormal Romance, next year, and The Monsters We Defy, which is my book that is coming out with Orbit next summer. They're both due on the same day, (laughs) one to my freelance copy editor and one to my editor at Orbit, and it's fine. It's totally fine, I say as I like, but I'm not really stressed. I'm sleeping. I don't have insomnia. Nothing is twitching. Like the things that happen to me when I'm really stressed, not happening. So I feel like I'm managing it pretty well. I'm pushing to get Savage City done, even though I don't have any external deadlines, because I do have that embargo on publishing three months before and three months after um, my traditionally published books. And I want to get the audiobook done. So um, still on submission with my agent for the audiobook rights. Already had one rejection. So um, there's only like three <laughs> places that it could go, really. Um, yeah, so like I said last week, I, I'm I'm fine with, with producing it myself. I would prefer not to. Like part of me really, like the money, the time, mostly the time, it's just find a narrator, you know, um, do the thing, the auditions of the narrators, listen to them, choose them, listen to the book, proof the book. You know, that's however many hours. This is probably a 75 to 80,000 word novel, however many hours that is going to be. It's a lot of time commitment on top of the financial commitment, which is several thousand dollars, I'm sure. But like I said, if I'm supposed to do it, I'm supposed to do it. And part of me would love to have the control over it and uh, the experience of doing it. Would that balance out the, the enormous time commitment? Maybe not enormous. That's, that's a lot, but the significant, the not insignificant time commitment. Um, but yeah, like when you sell rights, you know, I would lose the ability to choose my narrator. Um, I would lose pricing control. There's all kinds of downsides. Now I've made the calculation that my time and energy versus those things. Yeah. So honestly, we'll see. We'll just have to see what happens. So, so revising two books at the same time is um, not easy for me. I would prefer that if I have to work on two things, they'd be in different stages. Fortunately, I've got plenty of other things in other stages that I'm supposed to be working on to varying degrees of success. Um, I'm doing idea generation for three different stories because I have a short story, a novelette, slash short story, and my second Orbit novel that I have to figure out the stories for. I've got kernels of ideas for all of them. And I've talked about this before, but yeah. On top of the fact that next month I'm supposed to be doing the first draft for 
yet a different novel, a fourth novel. This, um, I thought I decided on the code word for it, but I don't think I have. I had it and I forgot it. I should have written it down. It's the 1830 story that I need to do most of a first draft of in November and uh, come up with a clean 100 pages for a book proposal. So I've been prioritizing other things on top of it. My book that is already contracted and my self-published book, um, because those things are already like entities. Like this is for a proposal for a future publication that is not like a guaranteed yet. Although it, you know, I, because it, it's a collaborative project, I think it has a very, very strong chance of being, of getting a contract. But, um, it's hard to, when I have things that are like already in process, a contract, I've got, you know, the plans I've made for my own self-published book to switch focus, um, in a way that I need to, because I, I did commit to this other thing and I do want to do it. It's not like I don't, um, it's really interesting and uh, it could lead to some really interesting opportunities. So, but revising two books, planning the draft of a third, trying to get the, not even plotting, but just the idea for the fourth, plus these other two stories. Obviously, I'm doing too much. I'm doing too much. I've decided that 2022 is going to be a season of no. I've been in a season of yes for years for quite a long time and not 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 for like a bad reason like i i know i've i say yes to things because you never know where things will lead and i have experienced many many times things happening because of these serendipitous you know leapfrogs from this thing that i did i spoke here and someone heard me and invited me to do this thing or um you know, someone read this interview that I did and invited me to speak here. And then I did this other thing. Like that happens all the time, which is why I say yes. I also say yes, because I'm genuinely interested in these things. Like I want to write this short story. I want to write this novelette. I want to be involved in these anthologies. I think it, it would be, A, it would be fun for me to write these stories. And um, B, you know, it's my work is getting out there with other authors, reaching new audiences. There's lots of good reasons to say yes to the various things that I say yes to. But even though I'm not stressed right now, because I have I have been working on not being stressed, I've been working on um, taking time and time away from the computer screen, doing things I enjoy, making space for myself, self-care, all, that, all of that good stuff. Um, I'm doing too much. And it's not sustainable. I can do it for... A short period of time, you know, like until the end of the year is going to be like a crunch for me to get all these various things done. The short story the, by December, early December, the novelette, which is what I'm calling the 10,000 word short story, is technically due in January. Um, like I said, two novels being revised by early November, book proposal. My head is swimming. It's a lot, but it's for a short period of time. And then next year, I'm going to try and I'm putting it out there in the universe so that you all can hold me accountable. I'm going to try to say no more just for my own well-being, my own mental health, physical health, all of that. I feel like I do need 
to slow down and focus. It's sort of like when, um, with my website development business, for many years, I sort of did everything. You know, I was doing Drupal and WordPress and systems that don't exist anymore. Um, you know, I was trying to do Java and JavaScript and Perl and PHP. And, and at a certain point, I was like, I'm only doing WordPress and Shopify. And these are just, you know, WordPress runs websites and Shopify runs e-commerce websites. And I'm not doing any other content management systems or e-commerce systems. With WordPress, I'll do WooCommerce or I will do Shopify. I cut out everything else so I could focus. So I wouldn't have to, A, just teach myself everything, which is just not a good use of time. I can sort of focus and, and do my best on these two things. And that was years ago, and I have not looked back. I'm able to say in my work life, I don't do that. We'll, ha- we'll have to find someone else, like really easily. And I have to bring that energy to my writing business, I think. Not that I don't do that, but like, this is a great opportunity. I would love to be a part of this, but I just, I can't. You know, I think I'll have to find someone else. It's really easy to say with websites. And it's harder to say with writing. And, you know, I do, there is some FOMO, I guess, the fear of missing out, right? When I say yes to things. But um, I know that I can get everything done, all of these many things I need to get done. And after that, I will be tired and I will need a season of no to rejuvenate. And maybe after a while, I will re-enter a season of yes and, and agree to many more things. But I'm thinking, you know, not so many workshops and panels and even like things like that. Still some, but not as many. It's going to be hard because I like doing things. <laughs> so I'm going to try my best to evaluate, to come up with some criteria so I can evaluate, you know, is this leading to whatever goal I have? I mean, the problem with that is, like I said, so many things are serendipitous, so many things you don't know if it's going to lead to something wonderful. But regardless, I can't physically keep up this pace for longer than the next two months. So it's going to be necessary. Speaking of productivity, my um, morning writing partner, Inez Johnson, was unavailable for two days this week. And so I tried a service called focusmate.com, which is sort of like the same thing. It's just with strangers. (laughs) So it's a website. um, You can do it for free for three sessions a week. Sign up for a co-working session, essentially. And I think you can either do 25 minutes or 50 minutes. And it puts it on your calendar. And then you go there and you are programmatically matched with someone. And, you know, you do a little video chat. And you kind of, at the beginning of the session, you just say hi and you say what you're working on. Then you can choose to mute. You can work. They're on the screen. You're on the screen. And you work. And at the end, uh, the timer goes off and you say, kind of, did you do your thing? Oh, congratulations and good luck. So I worked with this woman who was, I think, in Germany, um, working on some research at a university. And it was really cool. It was, it was really, really cool. Um, 
So I think that's a good backup. And, you know, I do this workshop called Organizing Your Writing Life. And I talk about accountability partners. And I do tell other people how I write with one of my friends every morning. And everybody doesn't have that, you know, doesn't have a person that is as reliable as Inez is. She's always there, except when she's not. So this is actually a really great alternative. And so I will link to it in the in the show notes. It's called focusmate.com. There are a couple of other services that I saw. Another one that I tried that didn't have as many people on it. So I, I signed up for a session and nobody else was there. I didn't get matched because there weren't, weren't enough people using the service. With Focusmate, it seems like you, you might have that happen, but there were a lot more people of, on it and using it all over the world, like I said. And it was really cool. So I would definitely use it again. It's only $5 a month for unlimited sessions, which um, otherwise you get three free ones a week. And so if there's other days when um, I can't meet my friend or other times of the day when I'm like, hmm, I'm procrastinating. Let me just get on with someone else. There is a psychological component to being even virtually co-working with someone else and feeling like you need to focus, even if you don't know them, they're not your friend, they're not going to get on your case if you didn't do it. There's something about just setting aside this time on your calendar to do the thing you want to do. Tell someone you're going to do it and at the end have to tell them whether you did it or not. So yeah, it was a, it's a little scary to like be like, hey, there's going to be a stranger popping up on my screen in a second, but um, not that bad. So I would recommend that if you are looking for an accountability partner and you don't have a uh, another person that you know that you can use. They have the ability to do groups. So um, I think it's in beta and it, th- this would be a paid service. So like if there was like a writing group and if, if everyone is in this group, it will try to match you with a person in your group first. And then if there's no one available, then it goes out to the larger the larger population. So I, I did enjoy it though and I would definitely do it again. And I do have some Q&A. So this question is, when it comes to how old your character should be, how do you decide that? (sighs) Decide is an interesting word. Um, I don't think of it as a decision necessarily. It sort of comes along with the story most of the time. Like sometimes it is a decision. Sometimes when I change a character's age, that's obviously like a conscious thing. Most of the time... It's just the idea felt like um, a new adult story. And maybe it was influenced, you know, when I first wrote um, Song of Blood and Stone and Angel Born way back in the mid-20-teens, when new adult was still kind of a thing, I was reading some and I was like, oh, I'm going to write something in this vein. So those characters are 18, 19, 20 years old uh, for the most part, because that was the age of new adult characters. For the new books, um, well, for the monsters we defy, that is based on, you know, my main character is based on a real person. So when I decided the year was going to be 1925, that informed how old she was. And then the other characters were just going to be in their mid-20s as well. But it's an interesting question. How do you decide how old a character should be? Um, Like with Savage City, which I have tried many different iterations of, originally it was new adult because it was originally way back in the day, a spinoff of Angelborn. And so the character was in her early 20s. She was in college. I tried it as YA. I briefly tried it as middle grade. I moved back to adult. New adult doesn't really exist as a genre anymore, but I think the character now is still 23. 
And a lot of times I'm writing about people in their early 20s or even late teens like Jasminda because it's a time of upheaval and learning about yourself and um, just great emotional change. And since I'm usually writing about characters who are trying to find their place in the world and are struggling with their identity, then late teens, early 20s, I guess that's when I was going through that. And it just feels like the right time to be dealing with that. You know, I'm in my mid early mid forties. <laughs> and so the things I'm dealing with in terms of my identity are completely different. And I don't know that I'm far enough away to really write a character of this age group. I guess I'm getting to the point where I'm going to be writing characters in their early thirties because I'm far enough away from that to be able to reflect on it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my thought process as much as it happens. I mean, I feel like the characters sort of appear in my mind and they are an age. And that sounds very woo-woo. Sometimes that does happen. And sometimes, you know, this other, so much of it just feels subconscious to me because I, I can't say that it, I consciously thought about any of these things until this question was asked. So a lot of writing is intuitive. And um, I think I intuitively understood that at this age, this sort of emotional growth arc would feel the most relevant, you know? And the next question is, I thought chapter titles weren't allowed for adult fiction. I don't know why. What made you choose to do it? So yeah, The Monsters We Defy is the first book I'm doing that actually has chapter titles. And it's not something that I've done before. I don't know why I chose to do it. I think I was thinking in my head, the way that I've structured this book there are the regular chapters, and it's basically all third pe- third person from my main character's POV, single POV. But I have these interstitials. And I, at first, the interstitials were the only things that had titles because they needed titles. So you know, because they're all different perspectives. That's where my omniscient narrator comes in in these interstitials. And then I was like, oh, what if I had real chapter titles? And as I was writing, you know, in my Scrivener file, Scrivener is the program that I write my books in, I do title each scene so that I can find them because numbering is hard because I move things around and I'd have to manually number and I do that and then I have to redo it multiple times. It's a pain. So I give each scene a title so that I can easily go back to, oh, this is the scene, you know, where this happens. And at a certain point, I was like, a lot of those felt like chapter titles. And since I hadn't done it before, I wanted to try it. Some of the titles were difficult to come up with. But I think it's interesting that you do probably see it more with children's books. There's definitely plenty of adult books that um, I see chapter titles in. And yeah, it's just a little something extra. I'm not doing epigraphs this time. So I wanted to (laughs) try something a little easier that still hopefully prepares you for the chapter or gives you, you know, the the challenge was to have a title that meant something that wasn't a spoiler for the chapter, or that wasn't a spoiler for the book when you looked at the table of contents. I was really mindful of that too, because some of my later chapter titles, I was like, oh, if you look at the table of contents and read the chapter titles, that's actually a spoiler. So it wasn't wasn't super hard, but I did give it some thought. Um, Yeah. And if you have a question for me that you would like me to answer, uh, just email me, podcast at lpenelope.com. 
So my goals this week, I have these two books that I have um, two weeks to revise, to complete the revisions for. I do, I'm not going to sign up for NaNoWriMo. I've decided that. I don't want that pressure, but I will be fast drafting this um, 1830s novel in November. I still have not done the pre-work of taking the outline, whether the synopsis that I have and making it an outline. So that has to happen this week. I have a meeting with my editor at Orbit about potential ideas, this new idea I have for the second Orbit book, which actually has a lot of energy behind it now. I was wondering last week if, since it's so new, if it should, if I should really be focused on it, but I've been, like I said, listening to these audiobooks and watching a bunch of videos on YouTube and just doing some overview research on the topic. And I really think that this is going to be the book. So still no story or characters, but I've got lots of background information, lots of world, lots of potential conflicts. Uh, and I don't need a plot now. I mean, I've got it's a couple of months. I'm going to take November and December really to to plot it out so I can start writing it in January. But um, yeah, it's really exciting to have energy behind it. And I've, I talked to the idea with my brother and my two mastermind people and my husband and everyone who I talked to it about, who I talk about it with. Oh gosh. Anyway, everyone is like jaws dropped. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. And so like legit energy. And that's the same energy I have for it. So I feel like this is the idea. My concern is just, do I have time like the thinking time, because a lot of times I'm, I'm not consciously thinking about it. I'm doing other things. And then I get a brainstorm and say, do I have enough time for the brainstorms to happen? I don't want to force anything because forcing things usually ends up with me changing it later. So, but I have to, I have to trust that if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, I will get the brainstorms and the light bulb moments that I need to have those good ideas that that come from somewhere, like not my conscious mind, you know? I have to trust that, that it will be what it's supposed to be. And yeah, I am excited about this. So much good stuff ahead. That is it for me for this week. I will talk to you next week, and I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.